0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Real Time Enterprise Channel on Vantic TV, our video and podcast series of interviews with thought leaders and practitioners in digital transformation and the real-time enterprise. My name is Blaine Matthew, and I'm Chief Marketing and Product Officer at Vantic. Note that you can reach either myself or the guest by sending a note to realtime@vantic.com, and we will be more than happy to follow up. Joining me today is Neil Kettermull, Director at Frontier Technology, which is a UK-based advisory for current and future technology roadmaps. Neil was formerly an analyst with Compare the Cloud, a tech-savvy creative media agency, and was a director and founder of the Canary Wharf consultancy. Thanks for the time, Neil. Let's have some fun. Yeah, thank you very much, Blaine. I'm sure we will. Now, are there two Neils? I, I see you, and then ah, I see another you right, right behind you in an action pose. What's uh, what's going on there? Yeah, that's my alter ego. Ah, okay. Which is the good one? Uh,
1: I'm not going to tell you.
0: <laughs> okay, we'll find out for ourselves when we're uh, when we're doing this. Of course, those on the podcast version can't see the cardboard cutout Neil uh, standing <laughs> behind the sitting Neil, but take our word for it. He looks pretty good in in both. So. Oh. Excellent. I love you too, Blake. <laughs> All right. So tell us a bit more about uh, yourself and your current company. Mm. Well,
1: Frontier is a more of a, an integrator stroke advisory uh, company that advises small to large cap firms on tech roadmap strategy um, right across the board from applications to tech roadmap with digital transformation to you know, best fit advice at the right place at the right time, really.
0: Excellent. And how did you How did you get to where you are today? How do you get to be, you know, a guru, an influencer, and somebody that large and small companies call on to advise them?
1: Oh, a lot of pain, a lot of study, um, a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of traveling, uh-huh. um, a lot of talking to a lot of people all around the world. And... Um, And um, if they listen, obviously, Uh, and uh, yeah, just focus really, but it's not an easy thing to do. You know, the the word influencer is typically overstated now, you know, and, Mm. you know, I've had a deep grounding of tech for all my whole life. And, you know, maybe about 10 years ago, I decided that, you know, tech is good, but I actually enjoy discussing where the tech is best placed and where you Mm. can capitalize on it the best way. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, for the last 10 years of my life, I've done nothing but travel, talk to people, advise them on what they should do. Um, sometimes they listen, which is good. (laughs) Um,
0: And sometimes they don't, you know, so. Yeah, that's the way of the world. Well, let's dive into something. So you recently wrote an article on LinkedIn called time waits for no man, not even a developer. What was the what was the core thesis of that article?
1: Well, it's interesting because you know it's one of the events that I went to in the UK uh, about AI and an adoption of AI and, and the fast t- uptake of it. I mean, in all reality, it's pretty much still the wild west out there, and you know, and developers get a bad rap. In all reality, normally they're seeing seen them as they'll develop something really quickly and push it out and it's buggy and it's not quite ready. And, and you know, they work, they're working under pretty stressy kind of conditions, you know. And a couple of the presentations I, I sat through and one struck a chord from me from Oracle and it was quite interesting and... It was actually on a code-based point of view. You know, when you look at uh, adaptive intelligence, that's where we need to be. Artificial intelligence is fine. You know, this if this pre pre-con- this precondition here is met, do this. Right. So I understand that. And then when we then go one step further, then we're into the realms of machine-to-machine learning. Now that's even more funky and wacky and out there. Um, but self-healing codes self autonomous patching code now that's adaptive intelligence you know that's way different from standard ai query based analytics
0: so are you fundamentally saying that you think ai uh based applications will replace or must replace developers in other words developers are moving too slowly i think
1: in the future yeah i think to be honest you know i mean you look at the speed up of technology of late over the last five six years you know, cloud adoption is the norm, never used to be, you know, and, and now you look at the next logical step is how do we develop to the cloud? Now let's automate that. Let's make that easier. Uh, you know, there's no need for, you know, there wouldn't be any skill shortages at that time. And I saw an example of that event that just blew me away. And I just thought, wow okay sorry developers but your days are numbered you know and even to the point of speaking code you know you, you tell a computer to do something and it codes it for you And I thought wow okay
0: so you think we're, we're going to be moving toward this nirvana situation where the business side the LOB owners will be able to uh, literally dictate their requirements, what the business requirements are, and then the process of writing code to, you know, to execute those requirements will be done you know, more automatically.
1: Yeah, I think to be honest, it's like any industry really. You, get, you have this boom and expansion and it contracts, and we saw it with cloud, there's a boom, it's great, and then it's contracting, and now we have maybe half a dozen what I call huge, big players in in the marketplace and the rest are just also rounds, you know, this commoditized market. You know, I think you'll find that the next level of skills down would be how do I develop and what am I doing? We live in this software world now that, now that if we can automate that, then we automate the, the generation, the code and even the code going to go into a cloud that's already automated as well. We're going to a far more automated tech environment now, and it's speeding up like like, like you wouldn't believe. Hmm.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's that's inevitable. Uh, that transition. Well, speaking of transitions, we talk a lot about digital, so-called digital transformation on this uh, on this podcast and in this video series. What does digital transformation mean to you? And is it really is it really happening? Hmm.
1: You know what? The I about three years ago, maybe four years ago now. um, Everyone was hailing digital transformation as the the next best thing since sliced bread. You know, Uh, we're going to do this, and everyone was using the analogy of Kodak and you know failed companies that were dominant players in the industry that sat back, didn't didn't move forward, didn't actually progress. You know, and now look where they were. You know, um. The irony with Kodak in itself is that they decided to create some kind of blockchain environment and its own coin, and then it sold itself for a lot of money because it had the word blockchain in it. Um, the irony of that, right? um, but you know, it's it's not just about digital transformation. You know, you can an easy analogy would be to say I'm going from a publishing house and I'm going digital. Right, that's very simple. But go to somewhere like a let me think, one of the recent ones. Is look at, for example, um, pet care. This is an interesting one. Um, now, you go from how do you, what, how do you even approach one of the most dominant pet care uh, firms in the industry mm-hmm. to digital transform? Now, you could look at that in so many ways. And yes, you can look at the tech that underpins it. Yeah, let's go digital, let's be flexible, let's store stuff. And, and and let people access stuff very very quickly, on the move. Da 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 da, da. But, but that's great, and that's just a tech transition. And what about what's the business value for that? You know, the, it, why would I want to do it? Okay, maybe it, it brings down my TCO. okay, let's get that. But what about being a, a pure transformation? It should be a business transformation. What what business objectives that the tech can underpin? now that, that that could be a myriad of things but you know in that particular environment if you've got say 200 pet stores that look after and healthcare pet stores you know how do you look at that and go wow how can i digitally transform that you know we're not talking about chipping the dogs you know and it's checking its heartbeat and whether it needs to come in for a checkup it's more of what we can do for their business to drive their growth and also use some of the, not bleeding edge, but the mainstream technology behind that to ensure that happens. And, you know, that's just connectivity, that communication is key, right place, right time, but also on a cultural thing, you know, the a cultural point of view that, you know, I don't say, so I'm not gonna say it's ageist, but it's bordering on. Uh, we have a generation gap, which, the younger generation can adopt the new agile lean tech and the, the, the methods of, of progressing in business where the older generation find it hard. You know, that, that, you know, it's that massive cultural divide. And that's a big thing, you know, talking about the cultural divide for, between a, a millennial and someone like me. And yeah. um, luckily I can understand the tech, thank God. Right? Um, you know, yeah. I should. Be. I'm supposed to be an influencer, so I should understand it, really. But um, so, yeah. So it's a cultural thing, technical change. But if you don't have the right business drivers at the top, what is the point? Hmm. A,
0: a lot in there. We we actually did a previous podcast about attracting millennials to work in tech companies and how it can be uh, so different to, to uh, attract and retain and motivate those folks than it was uh, earlier yeah. generations. And, and I think what you're pointing out is that digital business transformation that organizations need to undergo also has to do with some generational shift, right? They're, they're connected yes. to each other. And yeah. uh, that's, that's, really, that's really interesting. I, I, you know, I think we, we talk a lot about how digital transformation is fundamentally a cultural issue as well as a business issue, as well as a technical issue. And I hadn't actually thought about the cultural issue in terms of, of, uh, the generations, you know, but I think that's, that's, uh, astute observation.
1: Yeah, we have this, it's interesting because it's something that's quite often overlooked and you know, the, the millennials today are going to be the influencers and business leaders tomorrow. Now they have no baggage. They have no history. They know what they know and they know what they know today. Now, you know, I always say business change comes in cycles as one generation ages off and a new generation comes, comes to fruition, you know, and the same, it's like an eight, 10 year cycle. Um, and it's an easy business analogy to, to, to compare against. Look at financial services, you know, what comes around at the fall of the banking system back in 2008 and nine. Um, where everyone just oversold stuff to people that shouldn't really have bought it you know uh, and then ah, maybe we should do this now we need to change this and now we've gone full circle again now we're back to you know another 10 years on uh, we're now starting to we, we've made the changes from the mistakes that we've had and now it's, it's like um, like fashion you know it comes back with some certain twists yeah. So the core is still the same, but we just fluff up the edges around the core, you know, around the edges, and go. Now that's that's what I call it. it. Should be like this. This is how our business model goes forward. If you've got someone very young, without that, and also without the the social skill set to pull that off, you know, we're we're missing a big trick. You know, this, you know, the, these guys are not going to be able to to be able to perform or. It's really going to be a big culture issue. They'd rather text the answer to someone rather than talk to them. And that's the day.
0: Yeah. Well, you were talking earlier about adaptive intelligence, and we talk a lot about human-machine collaboration, about systems, increasingly intelligent systems, and people working closely together. I wonder if if that's another area where the younger generations will have an easier time of accepting a partner or a collaborator, that's a machine, so to speak, whether a machine is a literal machine or, or a software, uh, system or not. Any, any thoughts on that? Well,
1: it's funny really, because I bought a device at the weekend um, an Oculus go um mm-hmm. VR headset mm-hmm. um, mainly to shoot a lot of zombies on the games. I quite enjoy playing games. And, um, but, you know, actually, I, it amazed me how far we've come down the virtual reality to mainstream now. And this is mm-hmm. and it's still in its infancy, really. But the, I can live in a virtual world. I mean, quite literally, for four hours, I was killing zombies and watching documentaries and with this headset on, you know, just ignoring everyone else around me and even inviting people in from different countries around the world, we're all playing these games together. Not only that, just meeting up, chatting. And I think, you know, with AI, adaptive intelligence, it becomes more and more prevalent within technology like that. To be honest, we're gonna start, everyone's gonna be becoming more recluse. Mm. We won't have this social development anymore, the social skills that are, are really needed in business and the younger generation will take it for granted and say, well, we don't need that anymore. We don't need interactive personal skills. You know, know, dating will be a thing of the past and that kind of thing, which it is for a lot of the younger generation at the moment.
0: I wonder what the implications are for businesses that are trying to figure out how to transform themselves and if uh, you know already, many companies are becoming sort of distributed organizations where they don't have central offices. They have people working from home, and and then now you add on augmented reality and some of those and virtual reality on on top of that. Uh, you know, I, I wonder if organizations the way they're currently uh, formulated will even exist ten or twenty years from now.
1: Yeah, I think we're going to we got some big shocks coming in the next ten years. They some of the largest companies in the world won't be here. And, you know, it's having spent many, many years of my life interviewing business owners from, from small to some of the largest companies in the world, it's very prevalent that a lot of the people within those organizations, there's this big divide. And as the tech is superseding itself bi-monthly, um, your your employees can't keep up. If you're a tech firm, um, you have to adapt and adapt and adapt. And I hate to say it, uh, and, and it's an ageist thing really, but a lot of them are, are, are not capable of learning a new technology, a new way of thinking uh, for future-proofing their existence in the firm, let mm-hmm. alone anything else. And I think you'll find a staff will be aged off, you know, and, you know, and then basically younger staff coming in. That sounds really awful, but I start to see that already. And there's a lot of middle-aged people out of work in the fact that they can't adapt to the technical change
0: Hmm. yeah i think there's there's certainly some truth to that although uh being being a gentleman myself who is not certainly not of the uh the generation x or the or the younger generations i think and, and you're another example obviously it is possible for people to to keep up and and i also think as technology improves and you know we talked about ai and augmented reality virtual reality these things it's i think it hopefully will become less about about people modifying their behavior to adapt to the pace of technology where but and more about technology and people you know Working it out together, right? Technology being an enabler that gets people to to be to accelerate their own development, their own, you know, they, they people can bring their knowledge and wisdom to the game, and the the artificially intelligent machines can bring the speed and the and the multitasking and and the stuff, stuff that the supposed younger generations are actually good at, you know. Maybe that's a more hopeful uh, more hopeful future.
1: <laughs> no, please don't get me wrong, Blaine. I'm, I'm not. Um, anti-tech in the future far from it I think tech has its uses and absolutely wouldn't stop the progress of technology but in, in the right way you know it, technology doesn't solve every problem and if we are trying to get it to solve every problem on the planet we're going to fail and, mm. and typically what we'll end up doing is over solving problems and and, uh, and we'll you know overcompensate for that and then we'll have a mass Unemployment like you've never seen before. You know.
0: All right. Well, if technology is going to not going to solve every problem Then that that leaves government and government will solve all our problems So <laughs> they've, they've attempted to solve a lot of our problems recently with GDPR uh, Legislation I know you've been involved in that from the consultancy side is mm-hmm. GDPR Helping or is it hurting our transition or slowing down our transition into uh, into the future of technology-led innovation?
1: well it's interesting because, you know, in everything you need regulation, right? If, if you don't regulate something, it's unregulated, then it's wild west, and anyone can do whatever they want. And, and however, if you go in, go over too much in regulation, then it will constrict the growth. And it, financial services is probably a very good example of that. Um, there is a reason why we regulate banking uh, and have governing bodies like the FCA to control what should be done and, and the appropriate conduct and however you know if you go too far that way now gdpr is an interesting subject because we just lived through this the last three or four months and it was a two-year waiting countdown and it's, it became a bit of a damn squid and then you had consultancy companies uh, not me on might add, uh, that that would say yeah hey, oh you know you're going to get a fine you're going to Big fine! You need to do this, this, this. Mm-hmm. and the, the confusion that created uh, because nobody knew. Right? So when get when people t- tend to get too confused, they just put the fingers in their ears and just say, hope it will never happen. And I think I would say, and I'd probably get shot for saying it, probably 60, 70 percent of the firms in the UK are going la 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 at the moment. Really? Quite under, quite sure how to deal with this issue and. And the law is passed, and we well, 're already three or four months down the line you know mm-hmm. we 're all waiting for someone to be the sacrificial lamb to be caught out, and then you have this shock fact that goes, "Oh no," and everyone knee jerks and overcompensates mm. typically firms don 't actually become proactive in a regulatory law like they wait until somebody gets prosecuted or fined, and then they 'll knee jerk so they don 't want to be the next one you know
0: mm. very interesting i haven 't seen any actual stats, but yeah, that, that surprises me that you think the number is that high of companies that haven't, yeah. done compliance yet. That, that shocks me if that's actually the case, yeah. Yeah,
1: I would say that I would say from the, the, the low to mid tier organizations, mm-hmm. large companies have right. had budgets to step five to, uh, and, and teams of people to, to run with um, that regulation, of, amongst many others, you know. Yeah, no,
0: so. no doubt, no doubt. Okay, cool. Well, this is the part where I get to ask you to call bullshit on some aspect of conventional wisdom that, uh, that you know, most of the market thinks something is X when you actually maybe think it's Y. What, what would you like to call bullshit on, Neil? Well,
1: at the risk of um, uh, upsetting quite a few people.
0: Go um, for
1: it. I mean, there's, there's probably quite a few, really, to be honest. Um, I, I, can I add a couple? Blaine? Sure, think...
0: uh, absolutely.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, much that so I love the word blockchain, um, something that I understand and articulate quite well, and I've worked alongside other people in, in an analyst capacity. You know, everyone seems to think that blockchain is a shang- to to fix every problem on the planet at the moment from the plastics in our oceans to um, the garbage collection from outside our houses to uh, IPR for music distribution uh, to uh, food distribution to everything. And it fascinates me because um, that's one way of looking at it. It's just a concept of infrastructure and how the, what I call the Napster of old, uh, and it pretty was, it's supposed to be designed for anonymous Transactional uh, computations, and now we've re-engineered it to actually be immutable um, mm-hmm. and and based on a trust system. Don't get me wrong; I think there's a there's an exceptionally large place in tech for blockchain, but unfortunately, it's so overhyped, and yeah, and a lot of it's bullshit, really, um, quite literally. And there's lots of people capitalizing on that, you know, and and when you look at it, it, Inherently, you know, it's not about the infrastructure and the the concept of blockchain. What do you do with it? How do I store money? How do I store transactions? And people don't realize that actually it's your digital wallet that actually comes under scrutiny, not the blockchain. They go, oh, there's a few people that, you know, naysayers saying, oh, it's insecure. It's not this. Actually, it's technical infrastructure. It's as secure as you want to make it. But if, you know, I have a wallet today and it's in the back of my trousers, someone can steal it and I get mugged and I run off with it. Exactly the same with the digital equivalent of it, you know, if I don't secure it enough, if I haven't done my pocket up, I'm a back pocket and that makes it difficult for a pickpocket. Same thing in a digital space. If you don't secure it, someone's going to steal it, right? You've got hackers out there that, you know, from their bedroom, don't even have to get out of bed, you know, Mm. and make, make money out of that.
0: Yep. All right, so calling a little bit of BS on blockchain, and you're not the first to do that on this on this episodes on this series. So that yeah. I think that means something. Uh, did you say you had another one? Did you? Yeah, it's, um,
1: yeah. Um, you know what? The whole social media aspect. You know, I I look at this, and I'm very active on social media, and, and you know what? It's just that, that when you become an influencer, you know, you, you can look at People like Trump, right? Uh, he puts a tweet out and everyone reacts massively. Yeah? Um, and they go, "How dare he say this on Twitter?" You know, you can say what you like. You know, that's the whole point of a platform like that. You know, um, but then when you start gauging people's interactions and uh, how many impressions they have and what how what type of influence they have, you know, there's a whole different world. You know, it's a whole complete different world of okay, um, I can talk to you on Twitter telling you what a lovely fluffy cat that I've sent a picture to you. And you go, yeah, now, and you reply, replying, yeah, it's a lovely cat, yeah, it's a long-haired, what do you call it? And I'd, we'd have this conversation about this cat picture, um, and that builds up your influence. Mm-hmm. But it does actually build up your influence in influencing your field. So you'll find that you'll, you'll certainly find that I don't send pictures of fluffy cats to anyone um, without any doubt. Right? Uh, maybe funny pictures, maybe tech funny pictures and with a tech antidote. Um, however, you, you'll find that there are lots of people around saying they're, they're really big tech influencers, but actually influencing what? Mm-hmm. You know, pictures of fluffy cats, gift images that we send each other, the whole gauge and, and Twitter's analytics and the way that they gauge that influence and other third-party tools, to be honest, I believe is is well, well needed, a complete revamp. <laughs> so people who are influencers, people who know what they're talking about, and people have a voice and opinion, and a valid one, um, get understood. But the people who just, you know, just want a bit of fame and notoriety mm-hmm. should really be put in that same kind of category.
0: Interesting. Easy, a little too easy to game the system right now, I guess. Yeah. Now. And um, people
1: do massage it and play that system yeah. like anything else, you know. Yeah,
0: no doubt, no doubt. All right. So to wrap it up, do you have any final words of advice or wisdom for business or technology leaders who are looking to drive their real-time digital transformation?
1: Okay. Um, yeah, get your checkbook out. <laughs> um, it's going to cost. Um, nothing's for free in this world. So. You're going to have to look at the right place, the right time, the right tech. But to be honest, don't believe the hype. Um, take your case as an individual and don't compare it to anyone else's business. You know, you need to go start from within. Look at the change. Get your your strategy guys and the people that are driving your business forward today, and go. Well, okay, let's bring it in house and work out what we need to do. They don't need to follow the rest of the herd. It's very specific and very individual to you. That's my, my, my biggest advice if people are looking to do that, that business change that uses digital transformation to underpin it. Um, not all firms need to, to convert digital. And um, That's as simple as that. Yeah. Don't spend money where you don't have to.
0: It's a good point. Of course, you
1: can then hire me, obviously, and I'll help you out.
0: <laughs> well, there you go. There you go. Well, thank you, Neil. That wraps it. Thanks so much for joining us today for this great conversation. Those interested in hearing more of Neil's thoughts can follow at Near thats two T's and two L's on Twitter—and also check out his website FrontierTechnology.co.uk. And you can reach out to me anytime at realtime@vantic.com. Neil, again, thanks so much. Yeah. No, thank you very much, Blake. If you would like to subscribe to the podcast version of The Real-Time Enterprise, search for The Real-Time Enterprise on iTunes or SoundCloud. And if you are already listening to the podcast version of The Real-Time Enterprise, please leave a rating or comment and let us know how you are enjoying the show.